The vine and the branches. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that, that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes. So as that will be even more fruit, fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. May it be as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I remain in you. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such as branches are, such branches are picked up, thrown into a fire and burned. If you remain in me, and, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. And if... And if it will be done for you, this is to my Father in glory, that, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If, if the world, as the Father loves me, so have I loved you, then remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be com- complete. My command is this: love each other as I love you, as I loved you. Greater love has, greater love has no one than this: to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friend if you do what I command. But I no longer call you s- servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call, I called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. I don't know if you have ever found yourself wondering if this really is your best life. You know, you, you know the theory that God says, uh, Jesus said, I, I've come that you would have life in all its fullness. And you think, well, actually, is this it? Is this what he meant? Or is there more with Jesus? You know, somehow life just seems to be a constant struggle. And you think, maybe, maybe there's a better way of living for Jesus. Well, there's no better passage in the Bible, I think, to deal with that issue than John 15. Maybe you used to uh, uh, folks in church talking a lot about uh, what you should do, but not quite so much about how you should do it. You struggle uh, through the week trying to live the Christian life, and then you go to church on Sunday morning and you look around at the people and you they, they seem to be so together they seem to have everything sorted and some of them at least look really holy and maybe you're thinking some people just seem to be cut out for Christianity but not me and when you speak to people what do you discover they're all fine. 
It's a very, it's a very churchy word. Fine. How are you? People don't tend to be, I'm absolutely fantastic. I've had a great week. It's brilliant. I'm flourishing. Or, you know, I'm really struggling. We tend to be fine. That's not really helpful to folk who are really struggling or to people for whom things are going really well. I'm kind of mediocre. That's kind of what we're saying. And I think God has so much more for us than that. In verse 16, Jesus talks about his will for our lives. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And not only did I choose you, I appointed you to go and to bear fruit. Fruit that will last. God designed every single one of us for a purpose that was to bear fruit. And so the question that we have to ask is, are you and I bearing the fruit that God has designed us to produce? And what kind of fruit is he looking for? Well, we heard earlier on, he's looking for the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you don't get to choose. You don't get to do, I'm going to do love this week. But I'm going to have absolutely no self-control. We're to produce them all. And let me tell you, if you say, Lord, I need more patience, you can guarantee that you're going to be sitting beside the most annoying person in the world on the bus. Because that's how you, you don't just get it. You learn it. You learn to be good. You learn to love. You learn to be patient. You grow into it. But not only that, God is also looking for the fruit of new believers. People who have come to faith in Christ because of us. Because they have seen something in us or because we have literally led them to faith in Christ. We've talked to them and explained who Jesus is. We've introduced them to Jesus. And because of that, they've come to faith in him. God is looking for the life of Jesus to be expressed through us. His character, his works, his will being done, life's being impacted with love that flows from God through us. And I have to say my sort of immediate reaction to that is a bit of panic. Because I can't do that. The work of Jesus, his character, his love flowing through me, transforming other people's lives. <laughs> That's, you know, ah, how, I mean, how? I can't do that. But that's the point. I am not supposed to do that. He is supposed to do that through me. I don't know if you've ever felt a little bit overwhelmed when you realise that God has a call on your life and it might not be what you expected. That God has a purpose for you. 
none of us in our own strength can do the works of Christ. None of us can properly represent him here on earth. None of us can love others the way he loved us. None of us can demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in our own strength. But when we give ourselves to him, then all of those things are possible. You see, we don't have to do it. All we have to do is allow him to do it through us. And that's a totally different thing. Lots of frustration comes into our lives when we don't understand that distinction. And Paul makes the distinction in Galatians chapter 5 when he contrasts the works of the flesh to the fruit of the Spirit. Normally, you would expect the contrast between bad works and good works. The works of the flesh, uh, he says, are obvious. He says it's, it's sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. These things, he says, are obvious. And all you have to do is have a look around you in the world today. They are obvious. These are the things that human beings produce when they're left to themselves. And these are things that are contrary to the will of God. But the good that is produced in our lives is not called works in that passage. It's called fruit. And that is the fruit that is produced naturally when God's life is in us and working through us. Think about the job of a branch. It only has to be an extension of the vine. It receives its life from the vine. It doesn't have to decide what kind of fruit to produce. As the life of the vine flows through the branch, it will naturally produce the fruit that is consistent with the vine. The life is in the vine. The vine does the work. The vine extends its roots into the soil and it draws the minerals and nutrients and moisture to produce the fruit. It's impossible for a branch to function as a vine. The branch doesn't have life in itself. It's totally dependent on the vine for everything. But as Christians, sometimes the mistake we make is to try to be the vine when all we're supposed to be is a branch. And life can be very frustrating for a branch that is trying to be the vine. Jesus begins our text in John 15 by explaining, firstly, our relationship with Jesus. The end of chapter 14, uh, he concludes one portion of his teaching uh, as he leads them out from the, the upper room towards the garden of Gethsemane. And as they're walking, he begins to teach them again. And he starts with, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And then in verse 5, he clearly says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Now, we don't have time to go into the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, that idea of vine is, is attributed to the people of Israel. And, and the idea of them being cast out and being punished uh, and not producing fruit and all of it, it's all there, but we don't have time for that. But, but they would understand that what he's talking to is, uh, about is God. God is the vine in this case. So he's saying, that's me. So why does Jesus consider it so important for these disciples to understand the relationship that he's describing? 
Well, he's about to be crucified. He's not going to be with them in the flesh any longer. So how are they going to deal with the persecution that is coming their way? How are they going to advance the kingdom of God in his absence? How are they going to challenge the might of Rome with the message of the gospel? How are they going to successfully fulfill the call of God on their lives? Well, their natural inclination, as would ours be, would be to either to give up and say that it's impossible, or to try it in their own strength. And we have an example of that in the Garden of Gethsemane. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, what was the first thing Peter did? He took out his sword. He went back to violence. Because that's what he thought Jesus needed in terms of protection. And Jesus didn't need that at all. Far from it. So here's Jesus with this last opportunity to teach them what they're meant to do and how they're meant to live. They're going to have to learn how to allow God's life to flow through them and let him accomplish his purposes in them. That's the way Jesus has operated up until now. And now they have to learn to operate that way as well. Everything depends on it. Perhaps one of the the great discouragements and frustration of our lives is that we want to do the right thing. We want to accomplish things for God. We want to please God. But we don't really understand how that gets done. We try to live the Christian life. But that's the problem. We are trying in our own strength to live it rather than allowing Jesus to live through us. I don't know if you've ever been frustrated by your own failures and shortcomings when it comes to being a Christian. I know I have. But actually, maybe that's the start of the victory. Acknowledging that we cannot do it in our own strength. We can't live for Jesus in our own strength. Even those who have learned a measure of dependence on the Lord still have lots to learn. The first thing these disciples had to know and the first thing that you and I need to know is what our relationship with the Lord really is. It's exemplified by that relationship of a branch and the vine. The branch has no life in its own. It's dependent entirely upon the vine for its life. It can't produce fruit itself but the vine produces fruit through it. Now, I know that in my head. I've known that for years in my head. But does my life show it? Does my my prayer time, my Bible reading, my study reflect that? Or does the way that I invest my time and energy really say that I still think I can do something worthwhile? on my own strength the relationship between the branch and the vine can be summed up in one word dependence I am dependent upon Jesus as the vine to supply his life flow in me so that what is produced is a fruit of his life rather than my best efforts however well intended my life is to be simply an extension of his life 
and we must think according to that truth and act according to that truth and our whole lives must be lived in accordance with that truth. In contrast to what Jesus is teaching here, most of us try to live our lives as if we were the vine and Jesus was somehow an attachment that we added on. A support to help us do what we want to do. We have our goals, our desires, our work, our play to which we attach Jesus when it suits us. But Jesus wants us to understand something. He is not an attachment to our lives. We are to be an attachment to his. That's why he says we are grafted into him, the vine. I am dependent on the Father as the vine dresser to prune the things in my life that are robbing me of fruitfulness. Obviously sin blocks the flow of life in me and robs me of fruitfulness. There are cares of life, there are distractions, worldliness that might not be evil, but are superfluous that need to be cut away. There are attitudes in me that he deals with. Outgrowths of fleshly ambition, jealousy, pride, things that need to be cut out of my life and yours. And here's the work of the Father in our lives. In verse 2, every branch that does not, sorry, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. What does a pruned tree look like? Well, we've got one in our garden. It grew about 15 feet last year. And I thought, well, I'm not letting it grow another 15 feet. So I really chopped it. And it, it's basically a stump. Right? I've just, I've cut the whole thing off. I, get, I had a saw, a big saw. It's great fun. I hope I haven't killed it. But it just looks like a stump. But if it grows another 15 feet this year, it'll be fine. Right after things have been pruned, they don't look that good. And they don't look as good as a tree that's not been pruned. But there are seasons in our lives when things just seem to, 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 to really flow and God's at work and we see that and we know that. We feel good. We feel victorious. People appreciate us. Lives around us are being changed. People are, are being saved and we, we seem to have a positive impact on all that we do. And then there are seasons that we are like the stump. When there's no beautiful green foliage. All of it's gone. People are certainly not impressed with us. We feel that there's not much left of us. And we wonder if we'll ever be able to produce anything worthwhile again. But you see, God is a capable vine dresser. He prunes what needs to be pruned and no more. And he is working in our lives to produce fruit. So in John 15, we need to remember too that Jesus is talking to his friends. And based on that relationship, Jesus tells us one thing to do, which is our responsibility to him. Message runs through this passage. It's the one and only thing that we're called to do. In verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So what does it mean to remain in Christ? Well, I looked up remain, and it simply says to stay in the same place or the same condition. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Stay with Jesus, walk with Jesus, live with Jesus. 
Remaining in Christ also means that we remain in his love. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. What does that mean? Does that mean that someday Christ might stop loving me? No, Christ will never stop loving us. Never. His love for us is unconditional. He's not going to stop loving us. But by our disobedience, we can remove ourselves from the benefits and blessings of his love. The prodigal son in Luke 15 left his father's presence. By his own decision, he left that loving, caring atmosphere and he went away. All that time though, the farm was home. And the father was there and the father was watching for him and the father still loved him. The father's love didn't change, although he went outside the remit of his father's love. But when he came back, the father was still there. And the father's love was overwhelming. I'd been there all along, but he had removed himself from its atmosphere. And we do that with God. Jude tells us, in his epistle, verses 21 and 22. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. How do we do it? We build ourselves up in faith and we pray in the Holy Spirit. And that keeps us in God's love. Jesus in John 15.10 says, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. He continues to link obedience with love. The key to remaining is obeying. Jesus says, If you obey, you will remain. So what happens if I disobey? Well, I remove myself from the flow of God's love and God's spirit. I grieve the spirit and therefore I deprive myself of the blessing of his grace and love. John fourteen fifteen, he said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Love is irrevocably linked with obedience. If we really love God, then we will obey him. And that way we remain in him and in his love. There are challenges. He spoke of that. The world will hate us. But there are also things that are real blessings when we remain in him. And that is our reward in him. Verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. Joy. It's an odd word. And I'm not sure that I really understand it. But imagine the joy. So, so in, in Zephaniah, we'll go back to Ze- Zephaniah uh, chapter uh, 3, there's this image of, of God being so enamored with us that he sings over us. Right? The joy that comes from that relationship is the joy that Jesus has that he wants to give to us your joy may be complete 
Jesus wants to share his joy with us. How does it happen? It happens in intimacy and fellowship with him. It's as I live in fellowship with him that his joy can fill my heart. But it also causes us to love one another. Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now that's a pretty high standard. Here is Jesus just about to go to the cross to give himself for the whole world because he loved us. He says, that's how much you're to love each other. Now that's pretty challenging if we're honest. He loved us before we were even born. How, how on earth could we live according to that standard? How on earth can we love people in that way? Well, we can only do it if we abide in him. And then verse 15 says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Being a friend of God, that's a pretty big thing. A pretty good thing. And that kind of relationship and fellowship, our prayers are effectual. He says in verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. There are two conditions though for that kind of prayer. If you remain in me. That means if we are obedient to the Lord, we stay in the realm of his will for our lives, we stay in fellowship with him, and my word remains in you. When God's word becomes engrafted into our hearts, we start thinking right and we start doing right. Then it means that we pray right. So we don't just get to pray for whatever we like and Jesus says, okay, that's fine, on you go. That's not how that works. Effectual prayer is not my getting God to do what I think he should do. Effectual prayer is me being so connected with God that I am partnering in what he wants to do. Therefore, I'm praying the kind of prayer that he can righteously answer. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus wants that kind of relationship with us. Biblical Christianity is all of that. And much of what we experience and know is is not real life with God. And sometimes we end up living below the privilege that is ours through faith in Christ. And the main thing from this passage to remember is that Jesus says we are to stay connected with him. To live in fellowship with him. To draw our life and our strength from him. To obey him and depend on him. And in that we have life in all its fullness. And all of that is wrapped up in that instruction, remain in me. We are always to move towards him, not away from him. I wonder today if you've kind of had enough of what you've got 
and think there must be more. There must be more. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray. I don't know if you've seen, but in, in uh, Aysbury University, there's been a prayer meeting going on now for, I think it's 11 days, you know, something like that. They, they had a service. And after the service, people just stayed to pray. And they've been praying ever since. And some big-named people in America have tried to kind of go and get involved and thankfully the leadership there have said no this is not for you this is us and God and God's doing amazing things in people's lives and if God can do that there God can do that here I'm not suggesting we stay for the next 12 days praying but God can work in us just as he can work over there and so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray just have a bit of quiet I'm going to say, if you want more of God in your life, while everybody's got their eyes closed, just stick your hand up. Because that physical act of saying, yes, I want that, kind of cements it. And God knows. So let's just take a moment of quiet, and then I'll pray. Father there is something in us maybe it's a bit selfish or maybe it's a bit greedy but it says we want more we're conscious that life in some areas is not what we want it to be we don't have that depth of relationship with you that we long for that things are a struggle and so Father here we are today and we want more of your life that life from the vine to throw flow through us as your branches. Father, will you deal, will you prune those things that are getting in the way? Father, we want more of you. We want to know you more deeply, more fully. Father, we thank you for those hands that are raised and we pray that you would just fill those folk with your spirit that you will just bless them beyond anything they've ever experienced so far and Father we thank you that that is your plan and your purpose for us that we are meant to bear fruit that that we're meant to have your life flow through us and so Father whatever is blocking that we give it to you now and ask you to deal with it so that we would experience that fullness of life that you talk about Father we thank you for that that simple step of raising a hand but but there's something deeply significant about that that acknowledgement that that there's, there's that hunger for you And so we've already heard in John Jesus saying that he is the bread of life. He can satisfy that hunger. And so, Father, today will you satisfy that hunger that people have in their hearts for you? Will you be to them everything that they need? Father, we thank you that when we come to you with that kind of prayer, it's the kind of prayer you answer.
to give us more, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen.